fears of tripping on top. Be there! Scour the spaceways! Explore vast alien worlds! Tin right here contains the whole rigmarole. I used to smoke about an ounce of hash every day. Good. And it made me go a little bonkers. Maybe. If I occupy his mind with more duties, I can control his space. Hi. Big fat Hi. doobies. Hi. Hi. Hi, 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 hi. What's up, everybody? Today is Sunday, September 20th, 2015, episode 165 of the Hotbox. I'm Matt. Joining me this evening, we got Professor Progressor in the house. Once again, what's up, Professor? Hello. Thank you for having me. Hey, good to have you back. Also going to get Gooey Rabinski on here in a minute. Uh, first one I mentioned, got a couple new weed reviews up. It's been a while. Over on StuffStonersLike.com, check out The Dutch Treat and The Doctor Who. Uh, first time reviewing and smoking Doctor Who. Uh, not bad. So those are up. And then also huge thanks to PhoenicianEngineering.com. They sent us over a Phoenician grinder to review. I got to tell you, this thing is like no joke. It comes, it's a medical device. So you may, depending on where you live, uh, be able to get your insurance to cover it as a medical device. But uh, it comes in like a sterilized bag. And then there's a sticker at the top that says Sharp. And when you open it, you realize why, uh, unlike normal grinders that just have the little, you know, grinder sticks in there, this thing basically has, like, Ginsu 2000 razor blades in it. It's really sharp, so you definitely don't want to, like, fish a seed if you happen to get a random seed in or, like, a stem, because the second you, like, put your finger in there, it'll probably get chopped off, so... Uh, pretty awesome though. I'm uh, filming a bunch of footage of like rolling joints and grinding weed up with it. And uh, yeah, we'll have a full review and video over on Stuff Stoners Like for that. So, all right, let's get Gooey on and we'll talk about some receptors, some cannabinoid receptors. Hey, how are you, man? Good, good to have you back. Gooey Rabinsky, waxy.org, everyone. Always fun to be here. Oh yeah, so we got the professor here, and uh, we're going to have a little discussion on the CB receptors, CB2 <laughs> receptors. We had a little article about a study, uh, how they are involved in helping treat Alzheimer's, dementia, and MS, uh, stuff like that. But I'm going to let Professor Progressor take it away, and then definitely feel free to ask any questions. Um, but yeah, what you want to give us like the quick primer as far as what the CB receptors are and what they're involved with uh, in, in the endocannabinoid system? Okay, so, uh, <clears throat> so what we know so far um, is definitely is that we've got two different types of uh, cannabinoid receptor, uh, CB1 and CB2, that have been well characterized. There may be others out there. We don't know that, that much about <clears throat> the endocannabinoid system yet because we really don't have the, the research uh, fully going yet. Um, <clears throat> But uh, CB1 receptors typically you'll find expressed on um, on the neurons in your brain, and those are the ones that um, when THC binds to them, they will stimulate some sort of <clears throat> um, uh, effect in your brain. And that's you know getting high or whatever. Um, but um, there's also CB2 receptors which are located in different areas of your body. Um, they are in your brain in CNS, but not necessarily on your neurons. They're on other cells like uh, inflammatory cells, so things called astrocytes, <coughs> and other uh, immune type cells within the brain. So um, we're not entirely sure what that means, but um, preliminary evidence suggests that um, if we can target <coughs> CB2. Um, 
molecules that bind the CB2 receptor to areas of, of inflammation in the, in the brain, uh, we can cause a uh, the reverse aspo- uh, response where there's a uh, an anti-inflammatory uh, effect caused by these. And that's is that that's all the same cannabinoids because the like multiple cannabinoids have like they share a lot of the same properties as far as being uh, anti-convulsants, anti-inflammatory stuff like that. So, is it any in particular, or do they all? It's just whichever has a higher affinity to bind into that receptor, or how how does that work? Like, how does it know which which cannabinoid is going to be in there? Correct. Yeah, each each cannabinoid is slightly different structurally. Um, <clears throat> if you're comparing THC and CBD, for example, they uh, they look a little bit different. Um, if you look at their structure on Wikipedia, for example, um, and that uh, is good evidence that they have different. Um, targets that they bind, and those tar- different targets would be CB1 versus CB2. Um, in the case of THC and, and CBD, both of them bind both of the receptors, CB1 and CB2, but they bind uh, to one much more strongly than the other. THC to CB1 and CBD more uh, high affinity binding to CB2 receptor. So and that's here, what causes if, that. If you're watching live or watching the video after the fact, this is what the uh, cannabinoidal looks like, the molecule itself. So you can see that there. And so it's that shape, or is it a different shape? Like, is this the shape that it <clears throat> that it has that property for, or...? Yeah, it just happens to fit in the binding pocket of that particular receptor a little better. I and um, because of the way that the, the atoms are arranged within the molecule, they have a very nice complementary binding with the receptor site. Um, that allows, uh, in part, um, a high affinity interaction between the two. I see. So the closer they are to the, the receptor they're going to be inserted into, I guess, the higher the affinity, the, the more perfect the fit is? Yeah, imagine it to be more like a kind of like a lock and key. Okay. Um, where uh, it's a... It, that's kind of an old methodology when you're looking at enzymes uh, or, or old terminology when you're talking about enzymes and substrates. When you're talking about receptors and their their ligands, which in this case would be like CB1 and THC. Um, <clears throat> it's still kind of the same idea. We call it an, an induced fit type model. So there's a lot of times where the molecule will bind to the receptor. The receptor will slightly change shape to kind of encapsulate the molecule a little bit or allow it to be to hold on to it a little better. And then the response okay. within the cell will, will happen after that. So an induced fit is kind of like a shotgun wedding at the chemical level. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it allows it allows some crosstalk between ligands and receptors, which gives us interesting interactions and uh, and results as a, a side effect. This is some deep science. I'm glad you're here, Professor, because uh, you know it's it's sad that cannabis consumers, fans of the culture, are relatively ignorant of of all this, and I don't think they necessarily have to you know, even approach your level of knowledge, certainly, but just understand that even if you don't understand CB1 and CB2, that there are specialized receptors, it, it, it kind of, you know, it gives a, a, a great deal of uh, insight into uh, if you don't believe in the efficacy of cannabis for, you know, tons of medical conditions, you start to understand that when you see uh, how well they pair in certain circumstances. 
When well, isn't there? There's cannabinoids that are. It's are they called endogenous or the ones that are made in our body? Like an high. What's yeah, that one? Indo. An- like E N D O. So endocannabinoids is what we would call them. Or oh, okay. endogenously. Uh, they're made by the brain itself, right? Right. Yeah, they're made within your body. And Ananamide is that? That's the one. That's one of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the one I keep reading about Anandamide. in the, the literature. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And so that kind of is more of a, it's like that whole meme about like you make things like DMT illegal. It's something that is produced in nature, in humans' brains. So you're basically saying that the brain is illegal. Your brain is producing these cannabinoids or these endocannabinoids. Um, And so are our brains scheduled one or... Like, should we all... I mean, it's a silly thing, but that's how silly the laws are made. They are created with zero education as far as, you know, the the, the research that's happening. It, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely uh, uh, something that we can look at there when we're talking about the endocannabinoid system. And, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty good indication, I think, that Obviously, we're meant to coexist with these these compounds, and you know they're supposed to bind these receptors in our brain. At least that's my thought. I, I really feel like if we're making these compounds um, within ourselves for binding within ourselves and causing these same so- sorts of <clears throat> um, same sorts of uh, cascades that are triggered by THC. If you're looking at something like anandamide, which is an endocannabinoid, something that we make in our brain, then you use that as a model. You can say, you can look at that and say, okay, well, there must be a reason why we have these receptors in our brain, and and you know, evolutionarily at least. <clears throat> well, it's not just in our brain, right? There, are, the endocannabinoid system is in other things, right? Other species, animals, stuff like that. Absolutely, I'm sure it goes well beyond just humans. You know, well before we split into into a variety of different species and so forth. Yeah, I've, I've read that all mammals have an endocannabinoid system, and that's one of the reasons, especially just talking about Schedule 1, with the dearth of research in the United States, true clinical, you know, double-blind research, uh, that we're able to do and, and research on other animals like mice, rats, uh, primates, and, and to get information that, you know, has a certain amount of credibility when applied to humans. Absolutely, yeah. Those are those are great great models. Uh, when you can look at a mouse and say, "Well, it's a mouse," but you know, when you look at it, it's a little different than when you look at the DNA and realize that it's you know a huge degree of similarity between ours and their genome, and that's why pretty much everything that we test on animals uh, is a can be a very good indication of how it's going to you know act on humans or how the human uh, physiology physiology is going to uh, react to that type of situation. Does that only hold true because they have an ECS as well? Like, would you be able to test it on rats if there was no... No, not, not well. <laughs> it wouldn't like be a good model. the same Yeah, if you're studying reaction. cannabinoids, if you're studying cannabinoids, you want to use a animal model that has the cannabinoid receptors right. expressed the Well, same like ones. even cocaine, for example. Those are classic studies, right, where the rat just, like, keeps going back and hitting the button. They obviously have whatever receptor that, you know, the, the cocaine or whatever that chemical is, is binding to. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Absolutely, yeah. We share a lot of similarities, I mean, down to the multitude of different receptors that we have. 
Also interesting, the uh, web comic, the web cartoon, Rats on Cocaine. <laughs> the only thing it sucks is it allows, you know, the ignorant masses and, and those who are very uninformed when it comes to any cannabis or even overall health issues to say, well, well what, what the hell does a rat have in common with a human? How, how, can, how can that be a valid study? They're just a bunch of idiots. Those researchers should just smoke another joint, idiots. Hey, you know? Gooey, we did not come from monkeys, all right? Hell no, Jesus won't know. You call Jesus a monkey? You PC, oh. bro? You PC, bro? <laughs> New South Park. Oh, so good. Uh, uh, we're going to get some angry I know. That one. <laughs> I'm going to forward them all to you. <laughs> Get the rednecks and the Jesus freaks, and then we're up shit creeks. So. That's all right. They're one and the same. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Uh, so you you did some of this studying in school, yeah, uh, Professor? Like, what, what were you specifically going after? You weren't doing, like, Alzheimer's or dementia studies like this one was doing. Uh, no, I wasn't uh, looking at that per se, but... Same receptors, right? You were involved well, with the CB1, CB2 receptors? Definitely the same receptors, um, but another commonality is that they're both, well, potentially uh, inflammatory diseases, or at least partially caused by oh, um, interesting. In some t- sort of inflammation. <clears throat> so, Do you think, the- is that, I mean, are any of these possible side effects from under underused endocannabinoid systems that just over time this sort of problem has built up to where we maybe at one point needed these cannabinoids to give us those you know to the the anti-inflammatory uh, effects and that kept us normal and so after all this time of not having it maybe our our brains have eventually gotten a little swollen along with our egos <laughs> and you know we start to have diseases like like this i mean i think that sounds like a like a really cool idea. I don't I don't know if there's any <clears throat> any no, there's data not. to back that up, but uh, yeah yeah it's hard to say right now. I mean we we are pretty sure that a lot of these uh, types of uh, diseases are caused by aggregations of proteins and plaques and things like that. Um, basically, cellular waste. Um, uh, and From the breakdown of well, it's it's not the breakdown, but it's a it's a misfolding protein. So oh. when uh, when there's a small defect in the machinery or in the coding that uh, codes for your proteins, ultimately um, there that can cause um, the proteins to be spit out a slightly different um, uh, sequence of amino acids, and that causes the proteins to fold a little bit differently. And if they fold ah. in a certain way, they can aggregate and form these long chains of proteins when you just want them to be individual proteins. Right, right. But and they, then that's how cancer, it just gets out of control well, from that's, there. And... That's more like a neurodegenerative disease, oh, okay. uh, something you would see Alzheimer's or something like that. But um, a lot of these types of uh, aggregations that you see, there's a very strong possibility that anti-inflammatory treatment my, it would be a good way to clear out some of that cellular protein waste um, that is causing these or potentially causing these uh, neurodegenerative conditions. So um, if we can uh, administer cannabinoids that are anti-inflammatory in nature like CBD, then I think there's a good possibility that you might not only be able to uh, get around some of the, the nasty side effects of having these diseases, but also maybe even chip away at the at the cause of the disease itself. Aren't the two, uh, Professor, aren't the two greatest uh, efficacies, if you will, effects 
of cannabinoids overall, pain relief, anti-inflammation, rather? Correct, yes. And is that due to the targeting? or It's due to which receptors they decide to bind to in your body. So CB1 is is, uh, really good at... um, the whole painkiller um, effect. It's an it's a anti-nociceptive um, uh, receptor in, in certain parts of its, uh, its downstream, you know, effects, whatever it does, once it's bound to. So, um, yeah, I think so. I think that's a good way to, uh, to look at it, really. I mean, you want, right. these, you want these kind of binding at multiple sites within your body, both CB1 and CB2, to get your anti-inflammatory and your anti-nociceptive effects from it. Exactly. Uh, I read a couple of months ago that inflammation played a big role in cancer, which was something I was not aware of at the time. Is that true? That is uh, that's seeming to be the case. Uh, I've been, I try to keep up on, on cancer literature as best I can, and um, it seems like there are a lot of inflammatory-type cells that invade cancer uh, tumors, and those are... Uh, a lot of the reason why it's so hard to treat these certain types of cancers because they've been overrun with these immune cells and they don't do anything other than just sit there because once they get into the, the cancer uh, or into the tumor rather, the cancer cells send out certain chemical signals to these immune cells that are within the tumor um, and they basically cause them to go into kind of a dormant phase where they don't really cause any anti-inflammatory effect anymore. And as a result, the tumor just continually continually gets larger, and these <clears throat> these inflammatory cells do nothing to keep that from happening. So, so the cancer puts a freeze ray on the good cells. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's interesting all the different facets of of what goes into uh, you know treating something like this. It's it's a quite a conundrum, I think. It's very, very complicated, and that's why this whole Schedule 1 lack of research is, is just really – I know you've said it several times, Matt, but it's, it's just politics and complete bullshit because you know this is extremely complicated, and we need as, as much research as possible considering that there are lives on the line. There's people in pain, there's people dying, they're terminal, and this helps them out. And yet we got dumbass politicians in D.C. who, uh, you know, are more concerned with buying their fourth house and their seventh car uh, than helping these people who are suffering. Yeah, I I agree with that completely. I mean, you're not going to go to a, a drug company and say, well, people are going to misuse this drug to get high on it. So we should, you know, we right. shouldn't we shouldn't let people have this. It's like, no, you just you're going to regulate it like you've been doing, you know, with all these other drugs and allow patients to have safe access to it. Right. I feel like whenever the drug companies are told that, like, secretly in the background, they're like, yes. <laughs> like, unintended consequences of making more money. That's all good here. I mean, a lot of them were under investigation, as I we were uh, reading earlier, uh, as far as, like, having people go and tell the doctors that, like, oh, yeah, here, we'll give you money for for prescribing more of this it's safe it's fine and then it like kills people and they're like well we didn't tell you to do that i mean it'll it'll be interesting to see if any more like major receptors like this are are found i mean is that what kind of research needs to happen for that like are there more that we don't know about (laughs) well i mean that's the question right is it what what don't we know about you how how many more (laughs) do we not know about (laughs) 
I don't know. That's a good question. Like, if you look at the serotonin receptors, for example, there's a huge... We know all about those, don't we? We do. We're allowed to study those. But there's also a huge number of those. And that that might just be a characteristic of that type of receptor. Right. There may just be two cannabinoid receptors, but... I have my doubts. I definitely Do you think there are more in your professional opinion? Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think maybe there's a third, a fourth. I don't want to, you know, sound stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> think there will be CB420. <laughs> I mean, we'll start naming them like exoplanets because yeah, there'll be so many. You discover it. You find it. You'll, uh, you'll name it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to need you to operate on my brain first. <laughs> uh, that's CB4.2. <laughs> Gotta get it right. <laughs> it's a good movie. Well, that's cool. And it, it is, it will, you know, the more that this gets re-legalized and out into the public knowledge, you know, the less of the silly, like, oh, we didn't come from monkeys and mice. This is, like, the less of that we're going to hear because it will eventually become common knowledge. I feel like right now we're still fighting against the, you know, all of that propaganda that's been poured on people for so long. It's it's hard to erase a lot of that that training, you know. Oh, yeah. oh hell, there's millions of cannabis consumers who think that it's killing their brain cells and not good for them, right? They just yeah, because it feels the bad. whole dumb stoner stereotype, right? Like it's, I, I like the hashtag successful stoner on Instagram because it's like pictures of people that like smoke weed all day, like us, and go to work and like drive nice cars and they're living life, but they smoke weed instead of drink. It's cool, uh, opposite of the the normal stereotype. You guys have careers. You're you're daily smokers, vapers, right? Yeah. Hashtag successful stoner. Well, (laughs) there you go. We've got to break the stigma and the stereotypes. It's just ridiculous. I I really like some of the stuff I'm seeing coming out of uh, Green Flower Media uh, with their whole coming out green, and they've got some excellent writers and videos. uh, But it's just, you know, it's, it's just an effort to destroy break down 80 years of lies and propaganda yeah you know what's a really good help actually is your book i just finished it the other day and it's short enough and concise and well written that you could give it to your family members that are maybe either on the fence or are still in full-on haterade mode like it's (laughs) it's totally something that's like okay you don't have to believe me because i'm a biased pothead you know, but here, read this book and then see for yourself. It's it's one of those. I, I like it. Well, I always appreciate you uh, dropping the name of the book. I, you know, I appreciate it. But uh, that you know, it's funny you mention it that way, Matt, because it's exactly why I wrote it. And quite frankly, I kept in the back of my mind uh, envisioning my mother. And it's like, okay, if I if I make it too long or too complicated, it, 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 she was just the the filter. You know, if if it's something that she's not going to get then it should not be in the book. That's awesome. And things that you find yourself repeating over and over. It's like, I should just write these down next time I have (laughs) to tell someone I'm just going to hand them the damn book. Right. Problem solved. Uh, I saw this the other day floating around Facebook. It was an article on Motherboard about how scientists have hacked yeast to make THC. Uh, But then, of course, the hard part is what? Scaling? Scaling that up to produce enough THC? Um do you have any any genetic engineering information for us on this? Are uh, you familiar with their paper at all? Yeah, I've uh, I've skimmed through it a little bit. Uh, it's a it's a really cool paper. I like uh, uh, that they're kind of trying to get around having to grow 
plants to uh, to make THC because growing plants isn't always the easiest way to to get medicine. <laughs> you know, when well, you're trying to make it in large quantities, it depends what you're doing too, right? If you don't need the plant, like if you literally just want to isolate the THC, like that's a whole thing you got to do. Oh yeah, to get that one thing out of this plant, which is full of all sorts of things. Right. So that's kind of one of those situations where. You know, you, you work a little bit, you benefit a little bit, you work a little bit, you benefit a little bit. But right. in this case, they're doing a lot of work up front to hopefully uh, make a sustainable yeast model that will continually just spit out THC. And yeast has been used to create other things like this, right? Yeast is, is one of the is like one beer. of the first best models to do it in because it's so simple. Single-celled organism. The, the, it just likes to make things, or what's its deal? Well, you can you can easily insert uh, extra DNA into it using you know whatever technique you decide to. A in, tiny needle and a drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, not necessarily like that, but they can they can get uh, plasmids and other uh, sources of new DNA to be in, uh, put into the yeast, and then the yeast expresses that DNA um, oh. as if it were. A ca- uh, you know, a, a so cannabis. You, you give plant it the cell. instructions, and it activates it once it mm-hmm. gets read through. Exactly. You, you tell it how to make it, and then in this particular case, they gave it the precursor um, because. So that basically, what they did was put in the DNA to express an enzyme called uh, uh, THCA synthase. So it's delta nine tetrahydrocannabinolic acid synthase, which is essentially the, the enzyme that will create um, THCA which is the precursor to THC. Right. So if you're smoking your flower, it's in T- it has THCA most of the time, and when you burn it, that converts the THCA to THC, um, essentially just decarboxylating it if you're more uh, uh, familiar with that You're dropping the acid, basically. Yeah, the acid in the form of CO2. Gassing off CO2, right. Right, exactly. And uh, then, you, then that's the active form, THC, delta-9 THC. But um, to get THCA produced by... Uh, yeast, they've inserted this gene such that it will uh, make this enzyme. And the enzyme will make THCA from the precursor to THCA, another small molecular framework that looks kind of like it, Hmm. but it needs to be modified by the enzyme first to become THCA. So they still have to feed it this precursor um, in order for it to work. It can't just make it from sugar, for example. Right. But the precursor is more widely found or it's, what's, well, it's, it's not really cheap and it's, you know, you might have to synthesize it or you have to find other ways to get that precursor because it's still kind of a complicated precursor. Right. right. This, if you can start with something simple, like just feed the yeast sugar and it spits out THC, that's ideal. And that's what they'd like to aim for in the future. That's why this, the study, uh, isn't able to be really, you know, sized up and is this better than using or synthesizing it on your own like using the synthetic Uh, version because it is the it is the true form right well no matter that's the thing like no matter where you get these molecules from it's the molecules the molecule so thc delta 9 thc and delta 9 thca are the same compound same molecule no matter whether you extract them and purify them from the cannabis plant or or make them from yeast or synthesize them in the lab. Any of those things. Okay, so the analog, the synthetic analogs are going to be slightly different than which if you're doing research are it wouldn't work because it is slightly different. Like if you went to just some research lab online and ordered a few synthetic cannabinoids, you know, like would it 
this would be better if you are trying to specifically work with THC. Yeah, well, it, that's the thing. Like, It depends what you're doing. It can do whatever you want it to do. And that's the nice thing is because the cannabis plant has already provided us with the cannabis, or we've already figured out the cannabis genome, essentially. And we know what small section of DNA within the entire you know, set of chromosomes of DNA within the plant, uh, we know which section of DNA is exactly used for expression of this THCA synthase enzyme. So we can just uh, make that that little section of DNA and insert it into the yeast to make it uh, to make it make THC. But if you're trying to make, or, or I'm sorry, make this enzyme THCA synthase, but it's not making the actual THC. You have to feed it this precursor that's similar to THCA. The synthase is what you're feeding it. You're, you're, it's making its own synthase. So, so what are you feeding it? You're feeding it the precursor to THCA. Which is what? Uh, what is <laughs> Do we know? That's what I was wondering. Like, um, what are you uh, feeding CB, this? Stuff? I think it's CBGA. CBG, yeah, yes. you're, you're oh, right. Oh, so you're <laughs> feeding it another cannabinoid. Cannabinoid, yeah, exactly. Okay. Because if you look I within see. the within the cell of... Um, of a cannabis plant, as it's producing THCA, it's also producing CBGA. Is and that the stem cell type one that can turn into either or, or is that a different uh, CBGA? I think can also be CBD. Okay, it can also go to CBDA um, as well as THC, unless I'm mistaken. But I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, and this but- is a plus plug, but uh, for people who want to learn more about CBG, uh, there is an article on Waxy. Uh, it's uh, CBG, the traffic cop of cannabinoids, and it talks about how CBG is the source of all these other cannabinoids. And again, it's very complex science, but uh, it really gives you some amazing insight into, you know, kind of the whole uh, chain of what's occurring. Right, exactly. If you can picture this uh, this enzyme that they're putting in the in the yeast, or that the yeast is now expressing, to be like a the roofer on a house where. You know, everything's pretty much ready, just got to put the roof on. So CBGA is the, is the house without a roof. It's, you know, it, has, it can do something on its own, um, but until the enzyme modifies it, puts the roof on the house, it, after that it will become THCA, just sm- small modifications. So is that what dictates which cannabinoid it will eventually be? Yeah, which, uh, depending on... Uh, which substrate goes into the enzyme, and um, and also which enzyme uh, is actually expressed, because this is the particular one, uh, THCA synthase, that makes THCA. Oh, okay. So, so if you express a different enzyme, it would, it would generate exp- different... Correct. I see. Correct. Interesting. So you could use the same yeast to create both cannabinoids. Yeah, you if could. If you fed mm-hmm. it, you know, a, a string of both of those. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's a CBDA synthase as well. So if you had hmm. THCA synthase and CBDA synthase in yeast, it would create both THCA and CBDA when you fed it CBGA. Interesting. As a starting material, essentially. Now, what um, if. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, we're talking about acidic precursors uh, for cannabinoids. Um, I've written a lot about cannabinoids and terpenes on Waxy. And I got a response from a reader uh, a few months ago, who a few weeks ago, who said that THCA and any acidic precursors should not be labeled cannabinoids. Uh, and he felt very strongly about this. He told me that I was in private communications that I was wrong, uh, and and that I really needed to go back to it. I, out of, you know, in all positivity, I said. 
so what's your source? And he said, well, I don't read all that specialized stuff because yada, yada, yada. He goes, I consulted the dictionary. And I said, uh, oh, I see, the dictionary. Yeah, that's very specialized when it comes to cannabinoids. Um, so anyway, I, but I, I told him in all sincerity that I would check with some of the uh, more, more science-oriented folks I know. So I wanted to ask you, uh, is an acidic precursor like THCA or, or CBDA, can it technically be considered a cannabinoid? Uh, I would consider it a cannabinoid personally because um, even though it ha- still has the acid on it, which slightly changes the the structure of the molecule, it still binds to the cannabinoid receptors. So if you look in the dictionary of a, uh, you know, even the dictionary will tell you that a cannabinoid is something that binds to the cannabinoid receptors. And even if it has a very low binding affinity and therefore a very low potency, um, it still binds. And um, to me, that classifies it as a cannabinoid. It also comes from the same frame, uh, same chemical framework, molecular framework as these other cannabinoids. I would consider it a, a cannabinoid personally. So you would con- you would almost consider it a precursor if there was no if it didn't have any of those properties on its own, right? But like because it does have some of them, it is considered a cannabinoid. If this were, for example, something that we made novel, something that was a brand new drug that we made in a pharmaceutical company, we would call it a pro drug, and that just means that it's it's a slightly well, hopefully, it's an inactivated version of the active drug that passes through your system once and it gets converted into the active form by your liver enzymes or kidney enzymes or something like that. But um, that's not necessarily the case with this one. Um, uh, But it's, uh, I would call it something more like a prodrug where it's, uh, but it still binds to those receptors slightly. It just, you know, doesn't have the same effect that it does without that, that carboxylic acid on it. And when you're smoking flowers and even some extracts aren't fully decarboxylated, like you're doing that converting on the fly, basically. As soon as you hit a lighter to your flower, you're turning that THCA into THC, and then it's going in your system. But now you can also eat eat it where it still is not fully decarbed, and you're getting the THCA and the THC. Is the THCA doing any binding of its own, or is all of that done by the THC, and you're just kind of passing through the THCA, or...? What what happens to that when it's when it gets in there? Well, yeah, I think you're you're mostly gonna buy in THC because that's going to probably be if it's an edible. I imagine it'll be in a pretty high <laughs> high amount. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you'll have plenty of THC to fill a a, a wide variety and of so your the receptor a will sites. Just pass. And the THC probably won't really have the opportunity to bind because there's going to be a lot of competition with THC. I see. Um, so and that, that has the higher affinity. That's got a much higher affinity. So as okay. a, you know, the, it's going to not bind nearly as often as a result to those receptors. But who's to say that CB, you know, THCA rather, um, doesn't have an effect on another receptor? You know, or when it does bind, it, it causes a response that we don't really know about yet. That we don't really notice or know how to measure something something. the carbolic acid is triggering that the thc obviously doesn't have so that that trigger is not there well every both cb1 and cb2 receptors are um are called g protein coupled receptors and Hmm. when the the ligand that binds them when the molecule uh, like thc binds them that causes a response within the cell so it has a cascade of proteins that will uh, cause other proteins to do things and other proteins to do things. And it's just a very complicated pathway. 
<clears throat> so it's it's hard to study because of that, um, and we can't really say um, whether or not THCA is causing some some you know variance in that pathway that we can't measure yet because we haven't done the research. Um, we need more research. Right. We need more weed scientists. If you're in school right now, you ask your counselor how to become a weed scientist, and he'll point you, he or she, PC, brah, he or she will point you in the right direction. Now, yeah. Professor, mm-hmm. is it true that the acidic precursors during decarboxylation, that the heat causes it to lose a carbon dioxide, and that's really the only uh, difference in the chemical structure between the acidic precursor and uh, the follow-on. Is that true? That is absolutely correct. Yeah, all you're losing is um, a CO2, carbon dioxide. There's a, it's a, basically, when it's attached to the molecule, it's called a, um, a carboxylic acid, and it's a, a carbon, oxygen, oxygen, hydrogen, COOH. And um, uh, when it leaves the molecule, when it's... Uh, Basically, when the heat causes the degradation of that CO2, you know, and that leaves, um, the hydrogen will attach back uh, to the to the ring where the uh, CO2 was was at, and so you just lose it as CO2. So basically, a stable acidic precursor. Acidic, exactly. Acidic is the carboxylic acid. Short story long. <laughs> is there any use for that, like on its own? Does it have any, or do we find it in other things like that? I have high hopes for THCA and other acidic precursors. You know, I, I think at, uh, at the very least there's there's something out there that, you know, we haven't found yet that they're good at doing. So I think they're potent compounds regardless, you know, because we just talked about the only difference is that CO2. Right. You know, in a huge and a much larger molecule than just CO2. It's uh, That's just a tiny part of it. So when you only, you know, you cut off the finger, you know, of that molecule, just a small piece. And, you know, who's to say it's not going to still be able to perform very well in what it's doing. And that's just talking about like the, the cannabinoids when you're decarbing, usually you're also getting rid of some terpenes in there cause they're volatile. Right. So they're kind of evaporating mm-hmm. or, or doing whatever they're going to do. Um, we know that some of those potentiate the cannabinoids. Does that kind of happen in the same way or how, how does the potentiation work? Like with myrosine, for example, that's a good one that it seems to, you know, increase the effects of the THC. Well, I'm not, I'm not too learned on potentiation of THC from terpenes. I've, uh, I know that it's uh, something that they're really looking into now because they, they can, you know, science is starting to agree that this is, uh, I think a very realistic possibility um, but I don't know uh, exactly the what kind of crosstalk is happening between the receptors that bind the terpenes and the receptors that bind the cannabinoids. Mm. You know, I, it seems to me like there is some, though, um, based on the fact that we do see uh, some sort of uh, feeling of potentiation when you have like a, a strain that's high in myrosine or something like that. Right, especially like when you get results back and you're like, man, I really, that weed was really strong and it only has like 15% THC in it, but it has a whole bunch of myrosine and pinene and limonene, like a really nice terpene profile. And it, it's 
interesting the way the recreational market works because they're basing it on the THC numbers, which is causing growers to grow, you know, selecting for that, which may be limiting in the other areas as far as like terpenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can't always, I, I, I won't say you're going to lose some really good strains, but you're just, you're not going to see, you know, stuff like that out. It's all just going to be super overloaded like THC steroid buds, you know. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a nice thing about the flower itself is it's just got such a a nice like combination of cannabinoids and combination of terpenes and that's why they're always also different. The feelings are different from all of them and it's just a it's a very well-rounded uh, medicine, I feel But like. because it's so new, the market doesn't understand that yet. And so the market is selecting towards high THC content, which is causing the growers to select towards high THC content, which is going to have like a way offset market, I think, eventually, well, right? You're going to have all the one side and none of the other. I, I think it's, a, it's just a result of big pharma and what they have been, what their ideals have been for the last 30 years or longer. You know, it's all been about small molecule organic synthesis personalized medicine stuff like that so uh you know we're trying to make brand new molecules to bind these receptors um to cause a response that's hopefully beneficial um, if you're you're trying to treat a a disease or something um but you know uh really a lot of times nature is is i think the should be the blueprint and what we look at because uh, nature already takes care of these these interactions. It makes cannabinoids for our endocannabinoid system to bind. You know. Hey, baby, nice terpene profile. <laughs> Are those terpenes in your pocket? <laughs> so, a- can can marijuana live or THC? Can it live on a meteorite? Because I keep seeing this silly story passed around Facebook, and I just I I just want to know. Did the meteorite, like, crash into a field that had pot in it, and that's where it came from? Or do we really have aliens in space putting THC on things? I think it's 100% bullshit. Okay, <laughs> that's all I wanted to know. Thank you. Because, well, it would be, it's fun to think that, you know, like, pot-smoking aliens, you know, somehow, like, uh, uh, spread their DNA throughout the Earth millions of years ago or whatever and, you know, led to our evolution. I, I would... I would love to think that's the case, quite frankly. Uh, Hell yeah. But, Hell yeah. yeah, this is this is just the most ridiculous stuff I've heard. It, coincidentally, I had uh, a musician friend just this afternoon uh, hit me up on Facebook and, and say, hey, check out this article. And I was like, uh, I, I hate to break your bubble, dude, but... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe whoever was handling the meteorite in the lab maybe didn't wash their hands all the way and maybe had some weed residue <laughs> with some THC in there. I think I that's know. a thousand times more likely. The comments in here are, are pretty fantastic. Pothead researchers are the worst. It's just terrible. So, but anyway. We never, never get anything done. I was going to do that research, yo, and then I got high. And then I got high. What are you, Afro man? <laughs> it's about self-control, people. Self-control. <laughs> uh, did you guys see this was kind of interesting in Colorado? Because apparently uh, they've made so much money in taxes that there was uh, some sort of loophole where uh, for a day 
they offered tax-free weed. Now, you still had to pay the, what was it, like 2-something, 2.7 or whatever their sales tax is, but you didn't have to pay the, the, the weed tax. And it seemed like it, it was a good deal for, for customers. Uh, the article here, though, says that even for the, the, the dispensaries, it was awesome because they didn't have to pay their 15% excise tax. That's like 300 bucks a pound right there. Uh, it says one owner, a gentleman named Tim Cullen, he saved $45,000 before he even opened his doors that day. It's a good day. Wow. That was a damn good day. It's <laughs> a Lexus day, damn it. No kidding. Uh, they say the the tax waiver was triggered almost two years ago when Colorado voters approved two taxes on the weed, a uh, 10% sales tax for shoppers, 15% excise tax for wholesale growers. Uh, head of that vote, stat, uh, state tax analysts miscalculated the overall state revenue. The error then triggered a mandatory suspension of the new pot taxes. So uh, they decided they were going to just waive the taxes for one day, and the voters will have to go back in November to then re-vote on it if they're going to let the state keep that $50 million in pot taxes that it collected. 50 mil? Is that all? 56, I think, yeah. But, huh. Yeah. Huh. That's, uh, that's not bad. That'll do it. That's, just, that's a little it'll bit. cost them $20 million to give it back because of administrative hassles. <laughs> right? <laughs> Guys, and just quit dicking with the pot smokers, but just keep the fifty-six million. And it's gone. <laughs> uh, they estimate a one-day suspension would cost the state between three and four million dollars in lost taxes. An estimate the state marijuana regulators did not update. They're just going to keep that on the down low. Oh, in their defense, I'm I'm glad they underestimated instead of overestimating because. You know, the press headlines are a lot more favorable to our culture because of that dynamic. That is true. If it was like Silicon Valley stuff and the analysts are like way over inflating everything, yeah, this, it would have went the other way for sure. Apple underperformed. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, they only made more money than the, the whole country is worth, but that wasn't what we expected. So, bah. Three billion. What's wrong with that? Our computer algorithms say sell, sell, sell. <laughs> uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. A little side effect of this, uh, you know, Washington recreational market. There was something in the the bill written in about if you're under 21 and you have weed, it's a felony no matter what. And it used to just be like a misdemeanor, but now it's it's bad, and that's kind of ruining kids lives i mean if you get a felony for a little weed like that's that's a mark on your permanent record they don't give you a felony for alcohol no they give you an mip and slap you on the hand and tell you next time drink at home with your parents so this is in washington state yeah uh, and the the one that uh, helped sponsor the bill ann rivers uh she said we have to send a message to our kids that this will hurt you in more ways than one if you decide to participate. Not only <laughs> this is gonna, we're gonna ruin your life if you choose to participate in this. Which I mean, I get it. You don't want kids running around getting drunk and high and everything. But do you want to give them felonies for it? Well, not only that, but you lie to the youth in the first place. <laughs> 
They're, yeah. raised, they're programmed to distrust government. They know government's full of shit. I have two teenage daughters, nice. okay? They, and, and so the, the more bullshit that comes out of government and people, what's Ann Rivers, uh, the, the less they're, they're even going to, to listen. So she's really uh, her own enemy in terms of her message. Yeah, definitely. They're saying it is an awfully high price, haha, for a few people to have to pay for faulty legislative work. If I knew it was a felony and I was younger, I would definitely be way more careful about where I was getting my weed from. Yeah, that's 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 tricky. I mean, I feel I don't know about you guys, but I smoked the first time when I was 14 years old. And I'd, I'd hate yeah. to think that, you know, 14 year olds aren't the, the most experienced, brightest people on the face of the earth. And, and I would hate to think that because of just some youthful indiscretion that that I would have a felony or, you know, a long time in juvie uh, and and all, you know, just totally derail my life at such an early age. Yeah, especially like you said, where it's it's that's nowhere near what the the fee, I guess, or the fine for alcohol consumption is. And then you're messing with a far more dangerous substance in alcohol than you are with some weed. And honestly, I don't know how old you are, uh, Gooey, but when I was 14, what we were smoking probably wasn't even weed. So, you know, <laughs> you'd be it happy to have it, a... <laughs> wasn't spice. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It was just really terrible weed. It's, uh, you know, it's really sad that we have to to, to give youth a, a message of, you know, danger and, and uh, hide the science from them and... And because I think personally, it all comes down to culture wars. Yeah. Forget the science. They, the conservatives certainly want us to forget the science. <laughs> Already so been forgotten. Most that it's in our favor. <laughs> uh, but I, I just, I, I don't understand this. Uh, it's always pot is dangerous. What about the kids? What about the kids? Uh, what do you mean? What? Unless you tie them up in your basement, they're going to go out and they're going to do what they want, and and they're going to mimic you to a certain extent. And if you're a booze hound, or you know, smoke too many cigarettes, or just have whatever unhealthy habits, uh, today's youth are very, you know, the millennials are very tapped into social media. They have information at their fingertips, like at least me when I was a kid couldn't have imagined and mm-hmm. since the library was not the hippest place for us to hang out mm-hmm. when we were, you know teenagers or whatever uh we, we were pretty ignorant right and then along comes this great thing this information network uh, of the internet and these kids really know a great deal more than than we think about this and that's why i love you know sources like waxy and medical jane and in green flower media because it's just a google search away yeah, I couldn't even imagine it having that stuff when we were that age. Like, it would, I don't know. I feel like one slip up and, like, you are publicly shamed <laughs> just, like, instantly. Back back in our day, we you know, you didn't have to worry about that so much. <laughs> I think there's a lot of kids who are doing the opposite of their parents. You know, if their parents are, again, you know, smoking cigars and, and drinking too much booze, I think that uh, pushes them into other things. Hopefully, uh, not too many hard drugs. But if it pushes them into cannabis, well, that's certain. I I view that as a good thing, and I don't care what their age is. I'll yeah. go on the record saying that I don't care if you're 12 years old. I'd much rather you smoked a joint than drank seven beers. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see what happens here in Oregon. There's some articles coming out about the the countdown to uh, their recreational sales of weed happening. Oh, baby. I know. 
Are you uh, are are any of us gonna go there for opening day to go buy some overpriced weed? I mean, I can buy some overpriced <laughs> weed here locally if I want. Probably but. should just to say you did, right? You yeah, it, it, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's one of those things, you know. <laughs> it's one of those things. I wish I was writing for an outlet right now that could afford to, to send me there just to uh, just to cover the opening day because I, I think it's gonna be great. Uh, Oregon, especially Portland and Vancouver, Washington, one of my favorite places in the universe. Uh, so I think it's really, really cool that, that this is coming down and I'm really looking forward to how it's going to influence future episodes of Portlandia. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great show. (laughs) It is. So, uh, it just kind of, the article goes through like who can buy it, what can you buy, you know, amounts and things like that. Uh, you can purchase up to seven grams, uh, of weed a day. That's, barely enough for my habit but they say you'll get between 7 and 14 joints depending on how pinner-esque you you roll them uh, the law also allows people to buy four starter plants if you want to do it yourself at home uh, dispensaries are allowed to sell up to four plants to the same person and that's starting October 1st through December 31st of 2016 so if you want to get your plants gotta get them in before 2016 that's a little Weird. Set, limiting it to to seven grams like that to a quarter ounce. Yeah, uh, it, it would be much nicer to see something like in Colorado where you, where uh, residents can get a full ounce, and because that's seven grams, that's the limit for tourists. In what is seven grams though? Like, what am I going to do with that? I don't. You're spoiled, and I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like that's that's like a teaser, you know. That's like, oh hey, oh. I, I got this cocaine, but oh, there's only one line. It's like, well, what the <laughs> fuck am I gonna do with that? Get out of here. Hey, I grew up in a prohibition estate. I, me and my spouse could could stretch seven grams, <laughs> assuming daily. Fair enough. We we could stretch seven grams for seven to eight days. Oh yeah, assuming daily. Okay, so. So I'm 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 sorry I'm 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 not going to weep for you even though I do feel your pain. <laughs> no, hey, here our overpriced weed comes in at least ounces if you want. You can you can get an ounce here. I I feel like it's a weird number though. Like it's they threw darts at a board like at 8 grams it turns into heroin or I don't I don't understand. And the four plants, like if you get five, do they become like sentient and get angry because you're smoking their brothers and sisters? Like I don't I, I don't understand the numbers. Like, who pulled those out of whose ass? Well, I, I think the seven grams, it's a quarter. I mean, I grew up in a prohibition estate. I've spent most of my life in prohibition estates where, you know, if you go out and buy something, typically you're getting a quarter. And, in fact, a lot of black market dealers will look at you funny if you ask for one to two ounces because they start thinking you're a narc or... Yeah, like, no, this is my corner. You cannot sell dime bags on it. I will sell you dime bags, but you cannot sell. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. And they're going to do concentrates, right? Maybe sold only to medical marijuana patients and caregivers, because as we know, the concentrates are not recreational. Not what in Oregon concentrates will not be recreational. It's what it says, marijuana concentrates, what? What? known as extracts or hash oil, may be sold only to medical marijuana patients and caregivers. Marijuana infused foods and topical products also cannot be sold to recreational shoppers. Only flour. That's wow. It's economy. Now, 
they say probably sometime next year, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission will determine when the concentrates, extracts, edibles, stuff like that will be available to rec consumers. They'll probably roll rec- uh, medical right into recreational like they do are going to do in Is Washington. that the setup for that? I mean, isn't that inevitable eventually, especially if you... I, mean, I don't you're, know. You're I feel like you would create twice as much jobs and industry having both. There's no reason you can't have both. Hold one to a higher standard, obviously, because it's medical, as far as pesticides and stuff like that, mm-hmm. as we've seen lots of articles discuss, you know? But, I mean, I, I feel like in an ideal situation, you would want patients and recreational, medical patients and recreational users to both have the access to the highest degree well, of, of quality. of course you'd always right? want the highest common denominator, <laughs> but, but maybe... Put them under the same regulatory structure and you'll get that. You know, the one that's more stringent of the two. And you're going to get that, I think. But, yeah. but it's also just complicated. You know, it complicates everything. And the, and the more complicated shit is usually the worst. I feel like if you're getting high for fun and you want to smoke some bugs, then pff, go ahead. <laughs> but now if you're getting high for cancer, you know, you might be want bug-free. Unless those bugs have anti-cancer properties, then I don't, maybe you want the bugs. Good I bugs. Good bugs. You mean like a roach? <laughs> a roach. <laughs> awesome. You said it. I mean. <laughs> Set them up and knock them down all night. I have to agree with the professor. I think keep it as simple as possible. Government is infamous for just making things too complicated, too expensive, taking too long. And I think it, in all avenues of, of life and work, we need to keep things as, as simple as possible. So I'm kind of on the side of just, yes, take those medical stringent standards and just apply them across the board uh, because this is stuff you're putting in your body. And, it, you know, it's every bit as important as uh, – corn or water or ground beef yeah, we're starting this industry no gmos you know, yeah we're starting this industry from the ground up you know in 2015 2016 it's like what what year is this we, we need to start having higher standards for the for our food and you know for- damn you work two in ground up and higher standard you're getting good at this thank you i like that i like that a lot and, of course, it, it, there is no tracking system. It says, you know, there's no – you can go to another shop and buy seven more grams. <laughs> and, you know, eventually you'll build your Cadillac from parts that you took home from your job. But you can, you can get your ounce. You just have to visit four different uh, shops, allegedly. The way the stoner secrets. You can <laughs> I, I, I'm just reading the paper. the subject right now. <laughs> so, moving on. <laughs> You know it's conservatives. They're listening to you like crazy. Oh, I'm sure they turned it off a long time ago. <laughs> they were listening. Listening right now, and I want to tell her to kiss my ass. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'll sign off on that. So, well, it, it'll be cool. You know, you'll be able to go there and get weed, even though it's it's not that much. Um, Oregon sales tax, not for a while, they say. The state will begin collecting 25% on the rec sales, yeah. but that starts January 2016. So you got a time to stock up your 7-gram stops uh, <laughs> before they're taxed. So right now, people are guessing about 10 to 15 a gram. So you're buying dime bags? I think. $70 quarter? And... and- Regarding some of the stuff you said earlier uh, about the article you read, I think I, th- I think they will eventually make edibles and especially concentrates available to recreational consumers because I think they're going to get a taste for some of the tax revenues 
and they're going to say, holy crap, if, if we let rec consumers have those too, uh, you know, we'll double or triple our revenues. And this is interesting too, that if you're an, a medical marijuana patient and you're not 21, if you're at least 18, then you still can purchase your medical marijuana at a dispensary that is selling recreationally. So it sounds like they're going to have both. So your shop can sell to either or depending on the credentials given. Well, depriving recreational consumers of great products and, and you know, safer products safer, in safer products like concentrates uh, Hopefully. is, is just uh, it, it's, it's really a stupid thing. And it's only going to lead to diversion. There's, there's going to be people I've heard about that live resin. I've heard about that wax. I've heard about that shatter. I got to get me some of that. And uh, you know, here's, here's a, a medical user who uh, has a little extra and, and they need to pay the rent. Uh, so diversion mm. is a big issue here. And it, it's just, just the old prohibition model doesn't, doesn't work. They should just let everybody have everything. That's weird. You know where else I seem to recall, what'd you call it? Diversion? Diversion. Diversion yeah. happening uh, in, in the pharmaceutical industry, actually, where Hell maybe uh, a patient got a whole bunch more pills than they needed, and maybe those were pills that on the street, oh, I don't know, went for, let's say, a dollar to a milligram. And let's say maybe that person's on a fixed income. Those pills are going to get diverted to the person that has the most money that will you know keep coming back. And that happens all the time. I mean, oh, look at the yeah. epidemic for, for things like Oxycontin and, and shit. Like, right. It's yeah. out of control. Yeah, there's a reason they call Oxy hillbilly heroin, you know. And if you're impoverished and, again, you've got, you got to feed your kids, uh, you're, yeah, you're, you're going to divert. You're, you're going to sell it and you're going to make a little money. I remember my brother had his gallbladder out several years ago. And, it's, you know, the technology has gotten to the point. It was outpatient surgery. He was out my left hand now. It was probably drive through. <laughs> probably. They just kind of reached in the car. Yeah, like, it's like a car wash. You just roll through and they're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet they, they sent him home with the good shit, didn't they? Well, that's, that's my whole point. When he was walking out, they handed him a bag of 100 oxys. Shit. And, and he was feeling fine. You know, he really wasn't feeling it. And they and said, if you need any more, you just let us know because we want that uh, free trip to Hawaii. From right. The That's and right. He, Purdue yeah. Pharma, man. They 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 hustled that shit. And he's 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 a fan of the culture. And he tried one just out of curiosity and he touched the other 99. Fortunately, he's in a financial situation where he didn't need to sell 99 pills. You know, that's not his lifestyle. Uh, and they went down the toilet so his kids wouldn't get their hands on him. But damn, just burning tells money. State of the situation. <laughs> That's drug abuse, right there. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, toxic abuse. Terrible. <clears throat> That's true. Poison. No, I mean that's the stuff that gets kids hooked on heroin. You know, you you find your parents' oxys in the count in the cabinet and try a few and can't find any more, so you find what you can find. And so you're like, hey, street, mom, you know? where's the rest of the dope at? When are you going to see your doctor next? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but you're all out. <laughs> you ran out. When I say you, I mean we. We ran out. But yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a huge difference too, because when, when you have that sort of diversion and then it gets cut off, people move to heroin and that had a greater 
negative effect on you know the society that that happened in uh which is all over the country um in in cannabis like if if you you can't get that you know you're not going to switch to the more deadly you know like it's just like oh okay i'll just wait till whenever i can get it next you don't you know your body isn't in the kind of pain that opiate withdrawals cause you to go seek these other more dangerous drugs I would say oxy is more safe than heroin because it is measured and you know what's in it unless it comes from Russia or India, whereas <coughs> heroin, you have no idea what's in it. So that, that that's the only reason it's, I say it's safer. They're both equally dangerous. It's known shit, and the heroin is unknown shit. Exactly. Yeah. You have your knowns and your unknowns and your known unknowns and your unknown unknowns, right? You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> exactly exactly so i don't know that's when when they talk about things like that like that's what i always am reminded of and even the same with alcohol i mean how long has that been illegal for people under 18 and then under 21 and guess what how many mips do you write an, a night you know i mean it's happening it happens it happens in everything kids aren't supposed to drive cars guess what they do they're not supposed to smoke cigarettes guess what they do you right. it, it happens like you cannot and you can't cling to that as the reason to be like oh well we're going to be more strict on weed because we can't have it getting diverted yeah and this kind of goes back to what we talked about last time and it comes down to education you know like right educating kids when they're young and young enough you know to understand at least or old enough to understand it rather um but yeah, you start, you know, in school, and and if it's not in school, you, the parents should do it. Either way, it should be education about, you know, hey, this is how, what it might do to you. You know, if you, you, you know, maybe wait till you uh, you're older to use it. But if you feel like you need you want to use it, go for it. You yeah, know, but don't be that. like, here's reefer madness. This is exactly what will happen to you. And right. then, you know, they're going to be like, well, you lied to me about that, so I wonder what else you lied to me about. Yeah, kids are pretty smart well, it, these days. They'll they'll pick up on some of the science if you try to throw it at them, you know. My my kids are teenagers, and now that I work in the cannabis industry, I kind of came out to them. I don't think they were surprised. I think they knew. Kids are not stupid. Right. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, Dad, we know. Oh, Dad, I never smoked, smelled weed in this house. Uh, what the fuck are you <laughs> Oh, but awesome. but hey, when I kind of formally came out of the closet, you know, even it was hilarious. I showed him my volcano uh, vaporizer, which um, <laughs> traditionally kept in the basement. Now I'm oh, jealous. <laughs> Spaceship shit. <laughs> Our mom and dad go to the basement all the time. What the hell's up with that? And uh, and I showed it to them, and they were all looking at me. And I said, uh, I, I said, come on, you you've seen this thing before. I know you've been down there. And they they said yeah, but we thought it was like the bottom part to a lava lamp. Whoa, <laughs> that's a pretty good guess, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, I said, well, then it's a five hundred dollar lava lamp because uh, you know. Yeah. But uh, I showed you know, and these kids were, I did not rock their world at all. They 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 basically were like, why is this a big deal, Dad? Cause yeah, and this is marijuana. Um, they're like. Ooh. Big deal, yeah. and I was I was pleased by that very much to know that they're you know the reefer madness bullshit they get in school dare whatever had not made a large impression upon them. It skips a generation, I think. <laughs> so my kid's gonna be stealing my weed. That's good. Maybe I'll tell you what though, man. If my dad came out and had a doper smoking piece than I did, I would definitely have to re-examine my life as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool though 
got a volcano. Oh, well, here, you want your bag back. <laughs> <laughs> Careful um, how you say it. That's right. <laughs> they also say if you're on probation, uh, you won't be prevented from buying marijuana, but whether you may possess it is another question. Probation agreements, of course, require people usually to comply with these laws as far as taking drug tests and things like that. So just because it is legal, it may not be legal for you, depending on the contract you signed with your probation officer. Um, and I do, before we wrap this up, the, the last one, I find this very amusing that they specifically put this in here. So it says, I live in Idaho and plan to travel to Oregon to buy recreational marijuana after October 1st. What do I need to know before taking my purchase back home? <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> what do I need to know to properly traffic this weed back into my shitty state? Uh, well, let's see. They say that's a very bad idea. Quote, our law is very simple in Idaho. We live by God's law here. Now, in, in Idaho, regardless of whether it's legal in a different state or you have a doctor's note or a prescription, I don't give a good goddamn, okay? It is illegal to possess any amount of marijuana in the good, God-fearing state of Idaho, okay? Now, possession of up to three ounces of marijuana, that's just going to be a misdemeanor. I'm going to let it slide the first time. I'm going to take your weed, but... You might get a year in jail. Now, if you have more than three ounces, that's felony. So, if you're going to traffic, keep it under three ounces. Now, even if you don't have marijuana, but you have a pipe or other paraphernalia used to consume marijuana, that is also a misdemeanor. So, you know, you can go to jail just for the paraphernalia. <laughs> wow. Idaho, what happened? Your potatoes, so good. Everything <laughs> else, eh, not so much. <laughs> I'd like to say their advancement is about... 1850, you know, uh, but in 1850, weed was legal. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, right? Well, I gotta say 1940 instead, you know? I, I, maybe it's the states that came in after Prohibition? Is that is that possible? I think it's evangelicals. It's just all wow. these bloody evangelicals just yeah. fucking it up for everybody else. The more, the more harsh a city or a state is on their cannabis the more corrupt and evangelical usually <laughs> the the council is. <laughs> uh, and we should mention good news coming out of Clarkston, Washington. It sounds like they got a couple of the shops reopened. So it sounds like they're starting to finally win the good fight there against uh, the corrupt city council that was just, I mean, just, it, it was despicable. I mean, you can hear the frustration in our friend Nathan's voice uh, on those episodes where he's talking about it. Like, it's just, it's it's insanity. So. Is that the one where the guy fell asleep? Yeah, yeah, the city council guy. Yeah, that's that <laughs> that place. Yeah, I'm telling you, it was Brazilian hookers the night before. It, you know it was. You know it was. We're going to pass yeah. around this offering basket because I was just informed our Brazilian hooker fund is getting a little low. <laughs> you could feed the kitty we'd all appreciate that so to speak so to speak <laughs> <laughs> so that's good we'll definitely be getting nathan back on the show to talk uh, about canna for life and and what what it was that put it over the edge and and got um got it to to drop the, i don't know if they dropped the lawsuit see I, I need to get him on so we can talk about it more but i do know mm. he's back at work and and loving it so he um, felt he felt like it was a trap almost he's like We've been fighting for this for so long, and I almost feel like they're baiting us into something. You know, like, now we have what we want. Like, he felt like it was a trick. That was something I saw on Facebook. 
Well, I think it's good information for you to get out in any way, shape, and form you can because it can be a value. Now that more and more states are coming online with recreational, uh, and it can be a value to other communities who are going through similar situations. Oh, absolutely. This is getting repeated all over the place. You know, this just happened to be one that was somebody I knew. So, you know, we could talk about it. But yeah, we'll definitely uh, catch back up with Nathan next time and see what's what there. Uh, you got any articles you want to mention over on Waxy? Any, anything you've uh, published recently? I did a blog post this weekend uh, about some time I spent in Canada, up in Toronto, about ten years ago. So it was, it was, it's called preaching to the converted, and it just kind of came to me this morning when I was drinking too much coffee, and <laughs> uh, I, and I think. I, you know, there's just I love writing about the cannabinoids and the terpenes and everything, but sometimes you just want a little change of pace. So, so I enjoyed writing about that. But on Waxy, we're trying to build out the knowledge base with uh, articles about uh, major and sometimes minor medical conditions. Uh, we had one come out last week on epilepsy, a long form article. Uh, and, and we're knocking out more of those, too. Uh, and I want to say thank you to you, Matt for providing me with some dab rig photos for a, an article that's going to publish either tomorrow or Tuesday on Waxy uh, about concentrates. And nice. it's also a long-form article. And then right on the heels of that, I already we already published one about live resin. Live resin is some pretty cool stuff. I know we don't have time to talk about it right now, but uh, I'm, I'm very excited about live resin. I've never had it, and so I'm looking forward to getting my hands on some. Live resin is good, good, good stuff. Can you just real quick summarize what live resin is? I uh, no, yes. you, yeah, Greg, you know me. No, I know. Wait, it, is that is that the flash frozen? Uh, yeah, yeah, stuff? just yeah. super cold. I, doing it, doing it cold and fresh right off the, right. the plant. Yeah, basically get the trichomes off the outside, so you're not letting the solvent permeate into the, into right. the cells. And of the something plant. I learned, I thought it was only CO2. You can actually do a live resin in BHO. You just have to keep things, you know, really cold. Right. Keep it, keep it cold. <clears throat> and, it, and actually it's, it's really cool because it preserves a lot of the terpenes a and, lot. and the color is, it's, it's just, it's, it's nice and transparent. Yeah, it's a beautiful it's golden yellow. It's, it's awesome. Gorgeous. It's <clears throat> wonderful. And tasty. Tasty for sure. Well, and, um, Probably depending on how if it's it's usually not fully decarbed if I'm correct. I'd have to double check that, but I don't. I think part of the allure of it is that it's and that's what gives it its its stability. Because mm-hmm. when you decarb, it makes it less stable. I guess. Yeah, we'll we'll talk more. Best aroma. Yeah, for sure. It is, especially I mean, depending on what you're what you smoke on normally, because it's. It's still pretty rare. I mean, it, it's expensive if you get it in shops, definitely, up here. But it's it's just not a normal thing. It's almost like the the celebratory champagne that you've been saving for that promotion. It's like that. I, there's like a jar of a little piece of live resin getting saved for <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, good stuff. We'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes at hotboxpodcast.com. And like I said at the top of the show, I had a couple of reviews out. Dutch Treat and Doctor Who. Uh, some pretty great strains. So check them out, stuff stoners like. And then uh, this thing right here, the Phoenician Grinder. Very exciting. Uh, if you're watching here, look at those blades. They are literally razor blades in this thing. So it, it does the grinding for all of your medical cannabis stuff. Check out PhoeniciaEngineering.com. 
if anybody tries to steal your herb, you know, in the middle of the night, you just open that sucker up and just gouge them in the face. It is. You could completely <laughs> just, like, do massive damage. There'd be a blood trail. You wouldn't even have to be awake for it. You'd oh, yeah. you find no, them the next morning. <laughs> the chromium crusher, like, it's got weight to it. You know, you it's more of a bludgeoning tool. But the Phoenician, it's got that finesse of, like, a Ginsu. <laughs> Especially, it's got really strong magnets in here. Now, if you add metal, something as I do here, it will definitely, like, latch onto it and then cut the shit out of your face. So, you know, just keep that in mind. It's a medical device. Be careful with it. It's very sharp. So uh, check them out on Instagram and their website, PhoenicianEngineering.com. Nice. Daddy, there's a man in the bushes, and I think he's bleeding. What's all this about? Where's my weed at? <laughs> Steal my marijuana, girl. My goddamn weed. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, hey, it's been a, a blast as always. Uh, Gooey Rabinsky, thank you for joining us. It's an honor. Thank you again. Cool, man. We'll have you on next time. Check out his writings over on Waxy. Professor, always good to have you on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Good talks today. Email info at hotboxpodcast.com. You can leave a message for the show at 406-204-4687. If you got any weed questions, any extract questions, any questions for the professor here about receptors, stuff like that, uh, just send them over and we will get them answered for you. So uh, follow us on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, all that stuff. Got an Instagram account. Hashtag hotboxpodcast for amazing, sexy fan signs. Give a shout out to all the cute girls on Instagram giving us hotboxpodcast fan signs. Gotta love that. So... Uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you all next time. Peace. If you like you weed, like this weed, is where, this is where you, you need, need to, to be. be. <laughs> if you like weed, this is where you need to be. Thank you for listening to Hot Box Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast.